Well, I haven't started a sermon like that for a very long time, so I thought I'd introduce that again. Well, last week we looked at the aspect of the Lord's Day. Took that off of two weeks ago. Remember, we talked about the Sabbath, and then last week we demonstrated a biblical defense of worshiping on the Lord's Day as our day, and we brought that forward not only historically, but theologically and biblically. So we use those three avenues to demonstrate a, hopefully, a convincing and very strong argument for why we worship on the first day of the week. And we really also talked about the whole idea of taking one day out of seven to rest. So we're going to follow that up today. This is really the last of the three that we're going to be dealing with the Sabbath in a technical way. Uh, They are all involved. There are Sabbaths as well that we're going to be looking at in conjunction with Israel's um, feasts and and holidays, holidays. Um, we're going to be looking at those. Most of them begin and end with a Sabbath, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Sabbath, and then five more days, and then it ends with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have a total of eight days with three Sabbaths in it. And uh, we're going to be looking at that next, starting next week. We're really looking at, uh, well, maybe two weeks. I keep finding more material I want to insert uh, as I'm looking at other things, and so I might... I'm going to work on it, okay? So I'm not going to tell you what's next week. It's a mystery. Um, it will probably be that, but there's, we got, i got to figure out the order of dealing with some things. So we went from the Old Testament, went into the New Testament. We looked at the effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on heavenly worship uh, that we find in Revelation 5. Particularly, we looked at the whole element of the historical work of the church. We find them on the first day of the week, setting aside that they were off in that. We talked about the Gentilian nature of the church uh, in the first century throughout Pauline time, that they certainly, Paul did go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, but he also met with those outside the synagogue, and we find them often meeting on the first day of the week rather than the seventh. And of course, this is in conjunction with the whole idea that the Roman concept of calendar is different than the Jewish one and that it was difficult to transfer the uh, Sabbath days stipulated by the Old Testament into the Roman calendar on a weekly basis because month by month it would change the day of the week. And again, our focus is on the principles, remember, we're looking at the principles that are here. We are not going to get into a pharisaical view of what is legally this and, and, and uh, technically that. Uh, we are looking at the principle and the principle of taking one day out of seven as a day of rest to honor the work of God on our behalf. And certainly the focus on the Sabbath was on the creation and the work of the Lord's Day is on the resurrection. And hence we have um, one supplanting the other as priority. And that's not from just my, because that's the tradition I was raised in, uh, because I'm more than happy, and you guys know this, to abandon tradition if it has no biblical merit. And you guys know that about me, and you hopefully you've known that for a long time. <laughs> uh, and what we come to now is understanding that uh, once it has biblical merit, 
Now we have to conform ourselves to it and should conform ourselves to it, but not in a rigid legalistic manner. And we want to be careful to strike that balance. And it's always a tendency to go one way or the other. And we want the Holy Spirit to lead. And, and we want to be guided by God's Word. But we also don't want to be so rigid in our expectation of others that we cannot teach and guide and, in, and have opportunity to uh, invest in them. And so we patiently keep plowing away with God's Word and let it have its effect. It is the Word of God that doesn't return void, not Pastor Kirk's sermons. Because a lot of Pastor Kirk's sermons return empty. Uh, but the Word of God never does. Okay, And so we want to keep putting the Word of God into people's hearts and people's minds in their ear and putting it before them, and not just among unbelievers, but among believers, that we might become more and more godly. So we are really working our way through the concept of a Sabbath. We found out that there's five each lunar month, one being the new moon, and then seven days hence we have the first Sabbath. And because the new moon is not on a Roman calendar, which is a solar calendar, that changes month by month. We looked at our, uh, did we abandon the Sabbath? No, we held the principle, but we um, modified it to reflect a greater work than creation, which is Jesus Christ. So we want to go further. So we've kind of gone Old Testament, New Testament, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. So turn your Bibles, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 25. There's a portion of the Bible that you don't spend a lot of time reading, probably, not, not unless you're just... And we're really going to be looking at several chapters in and through here. 23 is going to be taking a lot of our attentions um, coming up in terms of the feasts of the Lord in 22, 23, 24. So 25 is in that context of setting forward what is the calendar of God's people. and uh, But we're going to keep with the theme of the Sabbaths. And now we're going to look at two other Sabbaths that God gave us. And it's kind of interesting. We often hear these people engage in these things in a legalistic manner, and we recognize that they are often misapplying it, and then they only apply what they want, what's convenient for them. And that was true of the Pharisees, too. That's what they did. They took what they wanted, uh, and they applied it to the nth degree, and then they ignored other things that they didn't like. And that's why Jesus Christ condemned them. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you tithe your mint and cumin, but you ignore the big things. You know, you're sitting there making sure you got, you know, a certain percentage of your spices separated out to sacrifice, but you ignore the great big things that God is more concerned about. And so we won't want to be caught in that trap, but we also want to be able to engage people who are caught in that and to draw them uh, out of it gently and lovingly, but also uh, with good scripture. So this is the other concept of Sabbath. Sabbath rest, and remember, we are still advocates that one day out of seven should be set aside unto the Lord to recognize what he has done for us, both as our creator and as our savior. And now we come into another kind of Sabbath that we don't hear very much about, and that we certainly don't see extensively practiced, and that if we did implement it, it would radically transform your lives. Not just in how you live, but your financial condition would radically change. 
uh, for the better. If we simply applied these principles, you might say, well, it's not possible to apply these principles. And I love when people tell me that because um, people have applied them and with great success and with great blessing. But, but you must choose to do so. And it means that sometimes you have to do hard things like uh, live below your means and things like that that we don't often like that aren't very American things to talk about. But let's go ahead and look at Leviticus chapter 25, and it says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. And so we have this uh, the sabbatical year. And you'll hear some organizations talking on We even use it in business world. I'm taking a sabbatical. I remember that Intel was a big one that I, 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 some administrator, I don't know what the level was that they began offering sabbaticals, some administrative level. Uh, you work for Intel. It went all the way down. That every, yeah, every seven years you could take so many months off. And they call it their sabbatical. Uh, and so Intel, which is a Jewish-owned company, uh, was implementing sort of this rule that every seventh year you would take time off and you're free to do that I think with pay right it was with pay so um, uh, and trying to implement this kind of principle that if you want a developed and and uh, strong healthy emotionally physically mentally uh, workforce that you're going to implement this kind of, of policy and if there's any group of people on the earth that still take sabbaticals, it's pastors. <laughs> they always want, I need a sabbatical. <laughs> well, that's pretty convenient. Uh, interestingly, though, that uh, the priests weren't given sabbaticals. So, just like they worked on the Sabbath as well, uh, more. They, they didn't work less, they worked more on the Sabbath. Not talking about Levites, but the priests of Israel. And so we come to this concept and I want you to notice that this is really not for you as much as it is, is for what? The land. Okay, and so notice that the concern here for God is for the land. And this is going to be borne out later on when he gives a judgment. He says, this is what I'm going to judge you for. And we're going to look that up here in a couple of chapters here in a moment. Uh, that you're going to not only rest yourselves one day out of seven, you're going to rest your land one year out of seven. And that is that you're not going to till it. Uh, you're, you're not, it's not that you're going to neglect it. You're simply not going to till that land, nor does, if anything grows of its own accord, are you going to reap it as a harvest. Rather, you're just going to eat out of it. It's kind of like an untended garden. You just walk into like a wilderness and just eat out of it, not in the sense of you're going to, you're harvested all for sale, but rather it says you can go in there and eat from it, but you're not going to harvest it. You're not going to go in there and cut all the grain and, and put, put it in your storehouse or anything like that. You're just going to let grow what grows, and you're just going to eat from it. But anyone can eat from it. Everyone that goes in there can just eat from it. 
kind of like the outer edges of their fields were not supposed to be harvested all the way to the edges so that the poor uh, could come in and glean. And of course, we know the story of Ruth is the big one about the gleaning, uh, where we find her gleaning the field um, and meeting Boaz. And so we come to this and we have this expectation of God that if you want to honor the provision of the land that I've granted to you, that you're going to allow it to rest and to lay dormant uh, to a sense in terms of not you doing anything to it one year out of every seven, that you're going to just let it rest. And uh, the expectation is that this is part of your worship. And I want you to understand just how seriously God takes this for his people. Now remember, what God is laying out here is not just a worship calendar. He's really laying out, if you want to have a, good, a, a fulfilling and, and healthy environment and life, here's what I'm laying out for you uh, as a calendar, as a, a lifestyle for you to help you to help you to be healthy, not just physically healthy, but spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, healthy in your relationships that we're talking about on, uh, on Lord's Day morning. Uh, all of these things, God says, I'm going to lay these things out. These are for the benefit. This is for your benefit. And it's for your benefit that you do this with these resources. And so you go into this and you recognize, and, and we know that this is true, and we try to overcome it by man's technology. Here's how we try to overcome the benefit of resting land one out of every seven years. We throw something called fertilizer in there, right? So we fertilize our property, our, our growing properties to the nth degree, trying to overcome their need to just rest. And, um, and so we try to do an end around this like we do so many times around this is God's ideal. He says, ideally, you should let your land rest one year out of every seven. And, and you can just eat what grows there naturally, but just don't till it, don't seed it, uh, just let it go. Uh, and let it rest, let it rejuvenate. And we know, horticulturally, that that is exactly what happens if you let soil rest. Uh, and, and that it does help it. Um, and become more productive. And we have uh, crop rotations. And one of the things that we talk about in, in modern farming is their rotation. And to the degree that our government pays farmers to leave land dormant. That was part of the farm bill back in the 70s, to pay farmers to leave land dormant for a year. Um, but then they also had, I think, a mistaken thing that you will get paid a lot of money to leave it to let it convert back to wilderness and plant forestry into it. Um, but uh, that's beside the point. And so the idea is you're going to leave some of your land dormant every year. And uh, because, believe it or not, we were producing too much food. But the quality of that food was diminishing. And it still is. And now we are at the other end. And what the farm bill did in the 70s was it didn't help the farmer. Uh, it really just help the big corporations because they figured out how to get the money out of the farm bill. It was complicated because it was government program. And the most local farmers couldn't figure that out or had the resources or time 
to investigate to find out how to get access to those government and funds and programs. But the big megacorps did. Um, there's um, just a, a few. Monsanto is the, the premier one now that rules most of agriculture. So we come into this, we say, well, here's God's strategy that you should rest your land one out of seven years. And, but we aren't, aren't agrarian. We aren't tied to the land like they were then, correct? Uh, we, we are tied to Smith's and Albertson's and Costco and Walmart. Uh, we just go, our, our, you know, my, <laughs> I was, um, what were we having? Something. And, and um, my grandson, well, where did you buy this? I said, I didn't buy this in a store. Where did, where, you had to buy this in a store. This comes from a store. I was like, no, it does. It comes from my garden. Uh, you know, it, it's grown. You don't have to get, you know, it's sure that that had to come out of a store um, because it's food and food comes from stores. Uh, and he's not ignorant about gardening. Um, I know that, but in his mind, it's still that association. So while we aren't agrarian in our society, we are completely dependent upon someone raising our food. So my son has a t-shirt he wears around, and on the front, what does it say? It says, uh, naked and hungry. Now, when I first saw him in that t-shirt, I'm like, naked and hungry. What are you trying to say to me? You know, that you're poor and, and destitute? Um, and then on the back, it says, that's where you'd be without farmers. Uh, and naked and hungry, because, yeah, cotton and wool and all those things come from uh, the farms and farmers, and so what, where would we be without our agrarian society? We would be naked and hungry. Well, God tells Israel, we, I want you to be, have a blessing. He wants them to be blessed to such a degree. In fact, he's going to say later on, it'll be to such a degree that you'll be, have a hard time finding poor people. That if you'll follow my principles, you'll have a hard time finding poor people to glean your fields. You'll have a hard time finding poor people, as we're going to talk about the year Jubilee and the, and the seventh year as well, of releasing from debt. You're going to have a hard time finding them to, to, because of the blessing that's going to come upon you if you'll simply follow these principles and follow my law follow and worship me. So I'm not going to disassociate the principles from the worship of God. Others have done that, and I think it's a mistake that we do, that, that we do this rest as an act of worship and as an act of trust. Now, can you imagine asking farmers today to let their entire acreage be dormant for an entire growing season? Well, you might say, well, these farmers are going month to month like the rest of us, every, every, one bad season, and they're in, in trouble financially. And many of our farms are in that condition. That's how these big megacorps get them. And by the way, who is the number one farmland owner in the United States? Do you know? William Gates. Bill Gates is the number one farmland owner in the United States. And so what happens if we let that lay dormant for a year? They'll, they'll get bought, they'll go broke, they'll get bought up. I would contend that the reason that is the case because they don't follow this kind of a principle to help their land. And that we have just kept driving and driving. We know that there's a depletion and we try to make that up for it in, with artificial fertilizers and God's word simply says, just let everybody walk on it. Just let them walk through it. Let your animals walk through it. You're not going to do anything. Just, just let it lay and recover. 
and I think this will work in your garden as well as on major acreages. Uh, but again, not just as a practice, but as an act of worship. And we want you to recognize that these go together, that we can't take the practices that God says for Israel, divorce them from the worship of the God of, his, of Israel, and think that somehow these practices in and of themselves are going to produce the blessing that God says he will put upon us. Okay, and I don't want, I, I've seen too many people do that in too many categories. I, I, uh, Gary Smallman was a guy that uh, took all these biblical principles on marriage and family and produced a set of videos and he was teaching these to people, but he would never mention God's word. He says, well, I did this to help American families because I want to strengthen their families. But if you strengthen families with the principles from God's word and extract God from the equation, you are not going to bless those families. You must have God invoked in that principle. So the principle is there that we're going to work six years. And God says, if you commit yourself to this and you say this six years, the last year, and you are committed, you're going to leave it dormant the seventh, I will bless that sixth year. This is what he promises Israel. I'll bless that sixth year, and you will get three years' worth of produce from that land. Three years of produce? Why three years? I only need two years. No, you don't. You need three. God knows what you need. Because not only do you need the year that you didn't plant, you need food for the year that you are harvesting that, so the year, the sixth year, you need food for that sixth year. You need food for the seventh year, and you need food for the eighth year while you're waiting for that food to produce, right? To harvest. So God says, I will do that. I will triply bless. And you say, can land do that? And yes, it can. I've seen many plots of land that one year it's just phenomenal, and the next year it's like I got nothing. You know, I, I got crumbs. I got, I got little portions then another year I got enormous amounts go back to the story of Joseph and what was the dream of Pharaoh you're going to have how many years of plenty seven followed by seven years of famine now let's think about the seven years of plenty how much did Joseph extract from Egypt one-fifth 20 percent of what they produced he held back and he he, he is a 20 percent tax he, he stored it. 20% of all the grain we're going to store. How many people did he feed for seven years out of that 20%? All of Egypt and... It says he saved the whole world. People came from all over the world to Egypt because Egypt was the only place that had food. 20% of what their, their fat years was enough to feed everybody for seven years. So what did all the Egyptians do with the other 80%? Can you imagine? Any Egyptian that had any kind of sense would have said, well, if Joseph is going to take 20%, I'm going to hold back 20%, and still I got 60%, and that's perhaps twice what I usually get. What simply happened is people just started living for those seven years on 80%. And then they didn't have anything for the seven years of famine. And in large measure, that's what we do. We have such abundance that we just gobble it up without any thought that we should be following some principles that there are some days of blessing and some that are less uh, for whatever reason. 
And God had his purposes in that. And so, again, we're not going to divorce the principles from the worship. And, and so, the, am I going to say you should do this? Well, um, should you take a sabbatical? Should you take some time uh, extensively? Remember, this is not for you. This is for your land. Now, if you're in a agrarian society, how much work is it to work land when you don't have to do anything to it? So do you take the whole year off? Ah, now you get to do non-farming stuff, like making sure all of your equipment and land and, and all your other things that kind of go by it can be addressed. It's not that you're not going to work that year. It's that you're going to maybe build something that, you know, you need another barn. You need, a, uh, you need to expand your house for those three more kids that you had over the last six years. Um, whatever it was, you would redirect your attention into this other activity for that one year and let your land rest and come back to it. And so this is the principle of rest. I want you to see that this is, God has our good in mind because he knows what we need. He knows what our land needs. And we just finished this past week having uh, Earth Day, right? Did you, any of you celebrate Earth Day this week, last week? None of you celebrated Earth Day? Oh, boy, what horrible people. You didn't, you didn't celebrate the earth, Mother Earth and all that? Uh, what We sit here and we want to have Earth Day and learn to recycle and reduce, reuse, recycle, and we want to uh, get off of carbon emissions or we're going to save Earth from getting too hot, um, which, by the way, you can't because God's going to melt it all with fervent heat. So that's, we believe in global warming like you can't believe, all right? Uh, not what human made, uh, but God made. All right, that's, our, that's the destiny of earth. Um, so the world knows that they should be doing, being good stewards of the land and the earth, the environment, but they twist that and become worshipers of it. But we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the land not, and to recognize that Working the land and getting sustenance from it, that labor is that which is not just for my physical well-being for the, to feed my family. It is also acts of worship that I should include God in my work and I should include God in my rest. And God has a care about his creation order, not just man on creation, but all creation. What was the complaint or let, let me put it like this. How did God find out about the death of Abel? The dirt screamed to God. I often wonder what our dirt has to say to God about our activity on it. Interesting. You're thinking, what? God has a relationship with all of his creation. We are, in, we are the image bearers of his creation, but all creation. Romans tells us that all creation groans for its deliverance. And I believe that one of the things that we ought to be doing is not worshiping it, but recognizing that God cares about it. How much does he care about it? Well, let's go a few chapters later. Let's go to chapter 26. And uh, this is the blessings and cursings of what will uh, happen. And I want you to pick up in verse 32, this is in the curse section. Verse 32 of Leviticus 26, it says, I will uh, 
bring the land to desolation. Your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. God was so committed to this principle that he says, when you follow after other gods, one of the things that's going to happen to you is your land is going to be desolated. You're going to be removed from it because you won't repent. And I don't want to dissociate this from the spiritual elements. And I'm going to bring devastation on your land. And I'm going to let your land, once it's desolate, let it rest. Well, how long was Israel and Judah in captivity? Seventy years. Seventy years. And why did God decide 70 years between uh, the fall to the return under Zerubbabel and Nehemiah? What determined that length of time, God declared, was this is how many seventh years you skipped. For 490 years, you didn't celebrate this. You didn't keep these sabbaticals. And from the evidence we have from God's word is that it was rare that they kept these. And only a handful of people in Israel actually kept these sabbaticals. And God says, you skipped 70 of these, so you're going to go into captivity that long. Was it 70? No. I think it was 70 AD. Yeah. And so they're going to be in captivity that long, and God says, as long as you're off that land, I'm not going to bless it. I'm going to let it rest. Even your enemies are going to come into this land and say, this is a wasteland. This is a wasteland. Who'd want to live here? Because when they show up, they're like, you can't get nothing out of this dirt. And they're not going to do anything with it. And God says, that's when it's going to rest. It's going to get its Sabbath's rest. And you have, you have robbed the land of its Sabbath's rest for all these years, and, and hundreds of years. So God's remembering this for hundreds of years. How old is our country? Yeah, 250 years, something like that. Okay, coming close to it, 240-some years. That's how old our country is. God remembered it in Israel for over 400 years. He remembered how many Sabbaths didn't get rested, and for that long, he let it lay, let, let it lay desolate. God has a lot bigger calendar than us, doesn't he? That he's holding people responsible for. And so here comes the, the, the desolation. And he says, for every year that you don't do this, your land is going to lay desolate under judgment. And interestingly, Israel now is blooming, which is a prophetic thing, right? Israel's greening back up the land of Israel. Uh, but what did Israel look like uh, back in the 1930s, 40s? When Israel first became a nation in 1948, uh, in the year of our Lord, what uh, did Israel look like? It was desolate. Mark Twain went and visited and said, why would anyone want to be here? This is the ugliest piece of land I have ever witnessed. That's how Mark Twain essentially described it. Just a desolate wasteland. 
because Israel wasn't in the land, and the land lay dormant. And the Palestinians claimed they were there, but they weren't doing anything there. It was just dormant. And Israel comes in, and now God is blessing the land again. And we use drip irrigation, right? How many of you use drip irrigation at your house for some of your plants? Yeah, I use it here. Drip irrigation was an invention of Israelis. They use it extensively. And, it, and, all, and you can see on satellite photos the, where the property line is between Egypt and Israel. Um, one side's green, one side isn't. Between Egypt and Lebanon, one side's green, one side isn't. Even to a degree between Egypt and Jordan, uh, although God is blessing Jordan too for a good reason, and because of the greenness. So when we implement these things, we have an expectation. God cares about these things, and they should be in our calendar, that we should be attentive to that. Now, what is the sabbatical year? Again, I, we can't be exactly sure. Uh, the nation of Israel right now says that this is year 5781. Uh, I don't know where they came up with that number exactly. I'll have to do a little more research, but it's 5781 is the year in Israel, not 2021. And um, when we look at, at the principles, what we want to apply, and the principle is that we are going to recognize that God isn't just a creator over us and looks for our benefit. He is looking over all of creation. It's benefit when we see those that want to destroy it, it should concern us. And so one year out of seven, we're going to turn our attention from what we have been doing and look to give the land a rest to give the resources a chance to rejuvenate, and in the course of that, make that an act of worship and trust that God will provide sufficient to uh, cover that time. And again, this is a trust issue. Yes? So is Israel doing that now? Is Israel? Some of the um, kibbutzes are. And, you know, Israel is a very socialist state. It's a socialist democracy. I don't hear anyone talking about that. All land in Israel is owned by the government, all of it. There's no private-owned land. And so the kibbutzes have these leases, and so each kibbutz, uh, kind of like a farm village, um, has their own. But several kibbutzes I know are implementing that, and they just let it rest. Some of them on a rotationary basis, some of them with all of it at once. I don't know that all of them are, but I know of one or two at least that I've had people talk to me about that are. Um, but we can implement these things, and, and uh, again, don't divorce the principle of timing from the worship of God and his blessing. Okay? And keep a good calendar. And we don't think in those terms. We think that the longest most of our calendars go out to is a year or something like that. We don't think of, well, there should be cycles of years. And then we come to, of course, the other Sabbath. And this one's very important. Uh, and this would transform us even more than the previous one. I spent way too much time on that last one. I thought it would only be about 15 minutes. And that is in verse 8 of Leviticus 25. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbath of years shall be to you 49 years. 
Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. You shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather grapes of your own tended vine. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you, you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession, and if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price, for he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops." Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. And uh, he goes on and, and describes this, how it, these two things work, and the balance of this chapter talks about how to implement these things. But the year of Jubilee would be the 50th year, every 50 years. Uh, and we hear this quote, this quote, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants, verse 10. Does that quote sound familiar to you? To proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. It's engraved on a precious... It's on the Liberty Bell. To proclaim liberty through all, all land to all its inhabitants is engraved on the Liberty Bell. So, um, but what is it in conjunction with? What is the liberty we're talking about here? Are we talking about freedom of lifestyle? What, are we, what true liberty are we referring to? And we are given those instructions later on. And that is that, the, that everyone's property reverts back to its family ownership. That all lands, all properties, and that any slaves are set, all slaves are set free. If you, are, if you have sold yourself into slavery to pay off a debt, all debts are forgiven. That's given to us as well in verse 35 and following. Uh, and same thing with the slavery. It's all laid out here of what you're going to do on the seventh year, that the sabbatical year, and on the year of Jubilee. And the whole purpose, remember, the year of Jubilee is a second sabbatical year after a sabbatical year. Do you get that? It's the 50th year. So you have every 50 years, you have double sabbaticals back to back. And this one is a free year. We're going to set everyone free, and everyone gets to go back to their to their family plot, if you will, their family acreage, and everything reverts back. And so if I come and buy a field from you, I only buy it for however many years it is between now and the year Jubilee. And so if we're 30 years into it, well, I only have 19 years to farm that land. I'm only going to pay you 19 years worth of crops. It's kind of a lease situation, isn't it? we go through this and here's a very simple principle that we find consistently in conjunction with the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year is that our debts should not extend beyond seven years. Okay, if we read through this, um, it goes through and talks about uh, the land and the debts, but the lending, let's jump to verse 35. We'll just jump in there. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls in poverty among you, you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Take no use or your interest from him, but 
fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if, if verse 39, if anyone of your brother who dwells among you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant of sojourner, he shall be with you, and he shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear him. Uh, and uh, we have by the children. And so basically you have, and it gives all the familial relationships there that are to be attended with that. And so we find that God says, you know, uh, you're not going to hold people in slavery and bondage in debt perpetually. That is not acceptable to me. And we have both an expectation that, that most all debts should be repaid within seven years. Can you imagine what would happen if there was never anything longer than a six-year mortgage? You're thinking, oh, that would be so nice. Uh, we get ex- I get excited when people... W- when I can convince people, um, you should just get a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30-year uh, or a 10-year mortgage. Something I, I always get excited because I try to get them down. Uh, can you imagine? We, we have car payments that last longer than seven years now available to you. It's ridiculous. It, when I was young, um, the most you could lend for a car was four years. Now it's like seven, eight years you can have loans for a car that diminishes in value by the time you paid it off you paid it off three times and and it's not worth anything uh, so you have to, it, it keeps you in perpetual debt and what God's word here is these Sabbaths rests are not only for the land it's also for your financial situation that you have liberty you have freedom you have freedom of materials that that things revert back and that you aren't perpetually in poverty. You aren't perpetually in slavery. You aren't perpetually in debt. And this is an affront to God. And so the sabbaticals are there not to give you time off to go and flourish in something else. The sabbaticals are there to um, restore economically everyone in the country to kind of a more even playing field. Now, does it make the poor rich? No, because they didn't have the gain from using that land for however many years it was sold to be used. It was the farmer who put the work in, got the crop out, sold that wheat, and, and got the profits from it. And so he profited from it. But here now a poor is going to be given these resources, and that should happen on a, on a regular level. And when we come to understand that caring we have a different concept, don't we? We have a different concept of debt. We have a different concept of ownership. Uh, but what does God say? God says, I own it. That's my land. You are my people. And so you're going to treat one another with honor and dignity. You are not going to charge interest. You are not going to do all these things. And every 50th year, everything gets zeroed. Everyone is free. You proclaim liberty throughout the land. And whatever you want to think about the birth of our nation, 
one of the things that motivated everybody was the fact that they seemed to be perpetually under the financial thumb of the king of England. And whatever they want to say about liberty this, liberty that, they just wanted out from underneath the financial obligations to, to, to England. Uh, that's fundamentally what drove most of our founding fathers, were financial considerations. And these were the wealthy landowners. These were the, the people that had the plantations. They had the slaves. They had this all going. And, but they had so much required of them from the king of England and taxation. And that's why we rebelled against taxation without representation because we had no say in it and it was being siphoned off of these wealthy landowners, uh, farmers, uh, that they didn't want it happening anymore. They wanted liberty. And if we would practice this, we would find that if I make a commitment, say I'm not going to go into debt for anything beyond six years. If I can't pay it off in six years, I won't buy it. You might say, well, that's impossible in this day and age. No, it's not. People have done it. What does it require? It requires patience. It requires discipline. It requires a lifestyle that says, I'm not going to consume my 80% during my years of abundance. I'm going to keep my lifestyle down here so that I can be free. <laughs> and, of course, Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you listen to him on the radio, and he put out some books, you know, debt-free, you know, cash is king, and... and be debt-free, and I'm a big advocate of some of the things that he advocates there, that you, you live on rice and beans and beans and rice uh, so that later on you can live better with freedom. And he'll scream it in the radio, freedom, every time someone calls in and says, I'm debt-free. Uh, this is a biblical concept tied into our calendar, and that we should be looking at the calendar and say, okay, can I be debt-free in this number of years? And any time I take on an obligation, I look at that and say, if I cannot get out of this in six years, I don't want to get into it. And I'll lay that out. And, and yes, the bank says it's a 15-year note, but I've got it on a seven-year plan, six-year plan, that I'm going to, I'm not, I mean, for years and years, our kids thought we were destitute. We go shopping, and we never went out to eat. And we went shopping, and all my kids ever heard, we don't have money for that. We don't have money for that. You guys remember that? That's all they ever heard. We do not have money for that. You know why we didn't have money for that? Because we were paying for their home. So it would be debt-free. Not because we didn't have money. It's because we were going to make a commitment that we are going to get out of debt as quickly as we possibly could and use all of our energy to do that. That is the liberty that is being described here that we are not slaves. And the Bible says that the borrower is slave of the master. Or master. The Bible, <laughs> let's see, the lender is master over the borrower. Borrower is slave to the lender. And so um, that should not be a perpetual situation. And part of an inheritance from a godly home to another generation is that they have liberty. And so 50 years. How many people live 50 years? Most people live 50 years. So that within your every, every 
generation, generation at that point was 70 years, so that every generation somewhere in their lifespan would experience this liberty, whether they are 50 or whether they are four, and then again at 54, they're going to experience this at least once in their lifetime of having liberty. And this is what needs to happen. And then also with the sabbatical year, every seven years, that I'm going to make sure my debt is cared for then and that I'm not enslaved for this so that within these time frames, six years and 49 years, that we have complete liberty from slavery and debt. This should be on our calendar. But we've gone so far away from that. By the way, two generations ago, that was on everyone's calendar. Your great-grandparents, I'm sorry, my great-grandparents, probably your great-great-grandparents, three generations for you guys, um, thought debt was one of the greatest evils that was out there. And they were right. Preachers preached against it extensively. And when we look at their practices, um, that was the means by which they kept their families uh, intact and in their in their businesses of their farming. And now, most of our farmers are in debt so far that they can't ever see the way out for generations. Don't even let me get started on the national debt. That will never be paid off because Habakkuk chapter 2 says it will never be paid off. Now you're intrigued, right? Habakkuk chapter 2 says the United States will never pay off its debt. So you're going to go read that and figure out where did he get that from. And so when we look at this practice, this should be a Christian practice because we understand the Sabbath, that that is so good for our family. It is so good for our health, our spiritual health, our mental health, our physical health. Uh, can you imagine how much less stress you would have in your life without debt? Now, I'm not currently debt-free, which really aggravates me, but I did incur a debt that I knew I would pay off within six years if the Lord keeps it a blessing and we keep going. Um, and because we bought another property. And so I was like, we can't buy this unless we can pay it off in six years. I will not carry that kind of debt over any longer period of time than that. And so I'm not going to say can't ever incur debt. I'm just saying let's make sure that it's not perpetual in our lives that debt is the reality. That's the purpose of the Sabbaths. The Sabbaths rests are for your land to rejuvenate so you can have blessing and for your condition of your home financially to be released. That's why it's called the year of release. And what does jubilee mean? What does the word jubilee mean? Do you anybody know? Yeah. <laughs> Jubilee is an extraordinary joy. It is just release. It is the, the release and the joy that comes with it. it, is the, it, it you would call it being stress-free. It's a year of being stress-free. Everyone is free. The, the Jubilee is here. And that's what we should want for each other. And we should look for that for our families. And you cannot believe how much stress in families is related to their debt load, to their physical, emotional, and spiritual and mental exhaustion, uh, all from running in the rat race. And the way to get out of that 
thing is to practice the Sabbaths. To truly uh, do that and then, but it's not these principles, it is trusting God. You're going to commit to God saying, you show me the way, I'm going to follow that way, I want to bring your principles to bear in my life, and I want to uh, have this year of relief. Uh, it might be 49 years from now, but set a date. <laughs> I set a date from when I incurred the debt, and I want to be free within that period of time. But the biblical record is you should, none of your loans should be longer than this, and, and the, the mega loans with, that are land-related should not be longer than 49 years. You should not have anything that lasts more than one generation. And so when we look at this, uh, what health there is. So we look at the spiritual health and the, and the physical health that comes from, from resting one day out of seven. Wonderful principle in God's word. The health for our environment, letting it lay dormant one year out of seven. One day out of seven for us personally, one year out of seven for the land, and then every seventh seven that we're going to say, let's have liberty throughout the land. Let's have freedom. Now, this is going to sound like I'm a really wild-eyed liberal Democrat, but I believe that it is valid to say at some point we're going to, relink, we're going to release everyone from all their debt by government dictate today. Now, you and I complain about that <laughs> because we're fiscal conservatives, maybe, um, but it's a biblical model that says can we just say, at such and such a date, and will people lend differently from then on? You better believe they will. They'll lend a lot more carefully if they know they only have this much time, and then suddenly the government is just going to demand everybody's debt is gone. Where did it go? Where did the debt go? Uh-uh. Whoever lent the money is burned. So if you really want to kick it kick the 1% in the butt, um, just relinquish everyone's debt. Credit card debt, every debt, all the debt, just relinquish it all. And you watch how all these bankers and, and Ford Motor Credit and all these other credit agencies, uh, you are inundated with people wanting you to go into debt, aren't you? You are enticed into it. Um, you get our you know, I'm at Smith's getting gas and there's this big advertisement, you'll get 55 cents off over the course of a year up to this amount, if you get our credit card, well, what are they enticing you to? More debt. Uh, and so this is a sabbatical uh, principle, and so it's not only about resting one day, it's resting your land one year, and it's, and it's resting your stress at least once every generation, that we, 50 years is on there, every seven sevens, that we're just gonna say, we are, everybody's free. That's the liberty that is proclaimed throughout all the land on that fit first day of the 50th year, the Day of Atonement. And can we practice that? Our church has been, and you don't even know it, because we have lent money and never demand it. We don't charge interest on any money we lend to anybody. And those that repay it, repay. And those that don't repay it, um, we don't demand it. We currently have money lent out right now under those rules and that we follow that are biblical principles. 
so that the people who have those needs, the need can be met. If they pay it back, praise the Lord, we'll put it back to work. Um, and if not, they have no stress. Jubilee is about zero, it's about release. It's about the joy of not having this on your shoulders. And this should be part of our calendar. Uh, and I'm convinced of that and, and try to practice that in what I'm doing, uh, even down to the gardening and letting the land rest every now and then. And uh, every six, after six years, seventh year rest. Any questions, comments? I've gone late again. Yes? Well, that's a good question. That's going to get us into calendar items that we're going to be talking about to figure out when Christ was born and when he died. We're going to be talking about the Julian, and it's coming. And so like I said, right now in Israel, the year is 5781. So I looked that up this afternoon to make sure. I thought it was 57-something, but 5781. I thought it was 89, but 5781. So that doesn't divide by 70, right? Or by 50, I'm sorry, by 50. It doesn't divide by 50 or 7. No. It doesn't divide evenly. So this is neither a sabbatical year nor a year jubilee um, by, that, by that date. But I'm not sure that that date is the date. And we're going to talk about the beginning of the calendar is the day of the Exodus. That's the beginning of the religious calendar, the civil calendar in Israel, begins at the Day of Atonement. When we get to that, we'll talk about that, which is what the year Jubilee begins, at the Day of Atonement. That's when the civil calendar begins. And that's kind of weird to us to have two calendars, one religious and one civil, but we're going to talk about how that works in a little bit. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for uh, these instructions in times and seasons, and, and we recognize that you take them seriously, that you... Uh, have these principles of, that not only are beneficial for us, but also to direct us in worship of what it means to trust you, what it means to obey you, and to walk after uh, your truth. And Lord, we know that uh, not only is our spiritual condition of importance to you, but so is our physical condition and our financial condition and our relationship condition with our homes. And we see the devastation that debt and stress and, and all that the world imposes upon us for a standard of living, what it does to marriages, what it does to families, what it does to, to our physical health. And Lord, help us to um, put those in perspective and to worship you by resting. And resting the resources that we have from time to time and for, and for making sure that we are uh, laying out a strategy to um, have this kind of liberty that you want for your people that really is a way of acknowledging that you are the one that we owe all things to, that you are the one we are indebted to, that you are the one who, whose people we are, and that we might serve you with our time and energy rather than these other masters of this world. And Lord, we pray for contentment. We pray for your blessing. We pray for... Uh, uh, determination that we might be able to be steadfast and persist and be faithful in getting to these milestones that you've set out in your word for your people to strive after uh, as they follow you and trust in you. And we pray that we might do so as well. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.